Future of Finance podcast, where finance finds its future. Hello, everybody. I'm Dominic Hobson, co-founder of Future of Finance, and welcome to our webinar, Is Tokenization of Privately Managed Assets a Dynamo, a Diversion, or a Dead End? As the notion of tokenizing the vast $120 trillion global bond market, or the only slightly smaller $105 trillion global equity market, or indeed the $64 trillion global mutual fund market, has come to be seen as unrealistic or perhaps even unnecessary, tokenization enthusiasts in particular have alighted upon privately managed assets as a sector that could benefit from the enhancements that tokenization promises. In other words, value now for owners of future cash flows, liquidity for physical assets as well as financial liabilities, lower transaction costs, lower servicing costs, a lower cost of capital through access to a broader class of investors, and even entirely new forms, perhaps, of corporate ownership, such as DAOs. On this view, tokenization of privately managed assets will become the dynamo that powers the acceleration and growth of the digital asset industry, precisely because privately managed assets have yet to benefit from the advantages issuers and investors enjoy already in the public securities markets. One optimistic forecast has it that privately managed assets in digital form will add up to a 16 trillion US dollar market cap by the end of this decade. That's nearly twice the size of active, I emphasize active privately managed asset markets today as measured by McKinsey in their annual survey. But is the current focus on privately managed assets just a diversion from the failure of mainstream debt and equity tokenization to take off, a refuge from the faltering initiatives to tokenize conventional mutual funds, or indeed a retreat from the patchy progress of the previous favorite real estate? In other words, are privately managed assets a faute de mieux strategy, one made for want of a better alternative? Or are they even worse uh, a diversion from the harder work of building an entirely new operating model to support the creation of genuinely native asset markets, which far from waiting for the traditional markets to catch up, owe nothing to the status quo. If there are any of these things, and there might be none of these things, there might be something completely different, privately managed assets might well turn into yet another uh, blockchain-led dead end. And certainly recent events, from the collapse of Terra through the failure of FTX to the decision by the ASX, to rethink its blockchain-based CSD have given skeptics plenty of ammunition to work with. To help us uh, debate the case for optimism and the case for pessimism and the many points which lie between those twin extremes, uh, we're joined by four industry leaders uh, whose businesses address directly the challenges set by digitization of privately managed assets. Patrick O'Meara is chairman and CEO of Invenium Capital Partners, which identifies, captures, and processes the data investors and their service providers need to value privately managed assets accurately. Uh, Kevin Montserrat is co Consilience Group, which provides an infrastructure that enables privately managed companies to digitize their assets in order to access the capital and professional expertise they need to grow. Oyi Chu is CEO of ADEX, the Singapore-based digital assets exchange, that enables independent investors to invest in private equity and hedge funds, real estate, and other private market opportunities. Dave Hendricks is CEO at Vitalo, an SEC-registered digital transfer agent that connects and enables members of the digital asset and securities ecosystem. Founded in 2017, Vitalo aims to transform and tokenize illiquid private assets to make them tradable and transferable in a very similar way to public equities. 
In addition to our panelists, as always, we also have you, our audience, and all five of us encourage everybody watching or listening to submit questions and comments throughout this webinar by using the Q&A functionality at the bottom of your Zoom screens. Indeed, we've had at least one question already. I won't be saving those questions up to the end, but we'll answer them as we go along, so you can be an integral part of this discussion right from the outset. But I'd like to begin with our panelists, uh, and I'd like to begin with, with Oyi Cho in particular, um, by asking her whether we're right to be getting as excited uh, or unexcited, depending on our temperament, about the opportunities in privately managed assets. At ADEX, uh, you're committed. Um, unlike many tokenization exchanges, you're also doing plenty of real and regular business. Uh, and the survey with BCG I referred to a, million, uh, a minute ago, uh, you believe this could be a 16 trillion US dollar market uh, as early as 2030, the end of this decade. So if you look back, Oyi, to the origins of ADEX as iStocks back in 2017, uh, you've got your operating license from the uh, Monetary Authority in 2020. Do you think the business that set out uh, five or six years ago to be the next generation capital markets platform has ended up in a slightly different place to what uh, uh, um, invented the business thought it would be? I mean, in other words, have events forced you to change course somewhat? Or are you exactly on track? Uh, from where you started. Yeah. Thank, thanks, Dominic. I don't think everybody sort of uh, ends up where they started on track. But what was quite interesting uh, when the business was uh, created, thought about in 2017, it was really about private assets and how do we uh, get that democratized? Because we felt some level of uh, financial uninclusion or that well, around private market assets, private equity, VC, whatever that might be. And that was not uh, really in the hands of mass affluent retail or, or even high net worth, right? It was quite difficult to, to get there. And it was a confluence of that idea and the um, thinking behind blockchain and what distributed ledger could do to solve that, I think got us started in 2017. Now, when we got the license in 2020, that really started our path to uh, really a strong relationship with our regulators in Singapore, MAS. And we were one of the first to, to, to help them think about what does the securities and tokenization mean in that combined construct, right? And so we can talk a bit about how our regulators uh, see that. And if you asked me if we would do this BCG study in 2017 or 2020, I would have thought, you know, we might be insane to even think about proposing that this number even made sense. But last year when BCG spoke with us to do this study and, you know, we sort of dug into the numbers and, and over time, uh, ADEX has also become obviously a big champion of tokenization and securities tokenization. Because we have operated for such a while, we've run so many transactions and so many structures and so many forms that we're very confident in saying that we know that blockchain will disrupt a lot of traditional financial securities. And of course, private markets is where that um, impact is immediately felt. So um, that particular study today, it's not about, it's not that tokenization will create a new asset class but tokenization will take over a very large part of that asset servicing and that execution of those private market trades. And so if you ask me sort of how that's evolved today, uh, tokenization has become much more at the forefront of um, interrupting TradFi. TradFi's really had to stop and think about it. 
And in fact, you know, we ourselves have built from a B2C solution to a B2B2C solution in reaction to a broader uh, thinking ecosystem push around how do we then do this in an ecosystem form instead of small little platforms trying to succeed by themselves. Thanks, Oye. Kevin, uh, you've heard what, what Oye was saying there. And I think about some of the, that she still thinks this is a disruptive force, that it's going to build its way into um, asset classes, which are presently serviced by traditional means. I talked to so many people who've, who've found recent events a great excuse for actually doing nothing. Um, and uh, in, in effect, um, you can see why they do. But what would, what would you say to people who say, well, it's all too difficult. Um, I think I'll, I'll wait and see. And in effect, what are you doing to counter that attitude? Well, I guess I will start with answering with a very philosophical answer, right? Do you believe in Darwin or do you, do you or in theory or do you not, right? So and I think nothing is the same. Everything is evolving. And I think if people keep doing the same thing that they were doing yesterday, they're going to have yesterday's results, right? So I think just from that uh, philosophical point of view, people, there are today, there are two camps. There are people um, um uh, who are doing uh, and in are testing and they are not afraid to break things and they are really learning and that learning it's probably the most valuable things they can do and there are the others who find excuses and we're going to say we're going to find millions of excuses and uh, who are just not going to learn as much as the ones that do and so from that very very standpoint I believe that learning is always the one that wins over time okay so first of all that's the very kind of the foundation of that second of all um, tokenization is the tool you, and then tools um, you can use them the way you want right some are using uh, different tools and uh, so you basically all of those organizations have the um, the right to disregard or use the, those tools the way they want and so I think it brings us to what we can do with the tools right that matter right and so if I if I just look at um, you know, how the world of asset management is evolving right now, um, according to what uh, Oi was saying, is that if it's true that there is uh, $60 uh, $16 trillion of, of illiquid assets that are locked right now and are going to be unlocked, well, it's basically a new market that asset managers can tap into. And the truth is that we need to have the right tools to make those assets liquid, whether we're using tokenization, whether we're using blockchain, whether we're using smart contract or coconuts, we don't care. What we need is the right and most robust tools to get there and so far if a few people like Larry Fink and KKR and others are talking about tokenizations of assets it's because there is something we may all be wrong and fool and, and look at this in two three years and say we got it wrong but the reality is that it seems like we are into something. Dave what's your what's your perspective on this is there a hybrid solution here how important is it to hook up the traditional markets to these new blockchain technology driven financial instruments um, your business is operating i guess at the cusp between those two and maybe give us a u.s perspective as well we've had an yeah. european one you know as I, as I was saying before we got on the call um it's it's and and i think this is kind of apropos uh you know what we heard from kevin there's an evolutionary approach to this it's very very difficult to make the leap from TradFi, which is often referred to as Web2, 
to DeFi, which is often referred to as Web3. So, you know, we, we Vertala, we, we, I think we find ourselves, uh, you know, we're registered as a, we're an SEC registered transfer agent. We find ourselves at Web, web 2.5. And, and the, the reason is, is all the assets are in Web2, okay? All the technology, or at least the new technology, is in Web3. And if you expect that... Just to be clear here, Dave, and people will be surprised that, that SEC registered transfer agents is still necessary in a fully blockchained environment. I, I, you're about to explain why that is the case. You're, all the assets are still in Web2, but do well, feel free to elaborate on that point. Why well, thank you. you. Why thank this you. You know, thank you for for setting me up like that. Um, this is, uh, as you know, I think this, as Pat will say, uh, follow, following me, it's all about the data, okay? And uh, it, if you can format the data correctly, um, then you can act on it. And what what this is really, what what tokenization of real world assets or or you know asset tokenization really is about is about standardizing and preparing and formatting the data so it can be made more transferable, more tradable, more reliable. And, you know, and if you've got all kinds of, uh, you know, if you've got stuff which is different, different within a bat, within a group of companies, just different, people don't know how to deal with it. So Vertalo transforms data which is stored on central databases or in spreadsheets and turns it into tradable and transferable digital asset securities. By transforming and standardizing data, you can actually create markets. The reason why private assets are not tradable and transferable the way that public equities are is fundamentally uh, a function of the lack of standardization of the underlying data. Uh, standardization of the value data in case of, you know, Pat, uh, and, and and lack of standardization. So it's ready to be put onto a platform like an addict. Okay. If you don't have those standards, then you can't, then you can't trade effectively because you've got a rail gauge issue. So, um, so I think that uh, the transfer agent plays an especially important role because it moves data base, it, it it's it manages the books and records. This is not going to be done in wallets for the for in the near term in people's self-sovereign wallets. It needs to be done in a, a semi-custodial environment that's trustful and if, frankly, uh, you know, so that everyone can parse it, everyone can connect to it. And so that's what we're in the business of doing is managing data. It's it's I wouldn't say it's an intermediary. I would I would say it's it's a it's a tube, okay, that moves it from one place to another, and I think it's very very important uh, to like if you don't focus on the data, you're missing the whole point of this. Now, now Pat, I suspect that, that Dave has just highlighted something there which is extremely profound. We've spent a lot of time actually looking at this through a technological perspective. Kevin mentioned actually the technology is a second order matter. What matters is the opportunity opening up this asset. We each pointed out it could be a very large asset class to asset managers, and the technology you use to get there um, isn't as important as actually having price, valuation, revenue information. And I don't want to bowl you a sort of underarm ball here. I don't know whether you have that concept in baseball. We certainly have it in cricket. But data is, is your business. So what sort of data are we talking about here, which can be put into the hands of investors to, uh, and indeed exchanges and participants in exchanges 
to help these privately managed asset markets grow? What do they need and where do you get it from? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, when you have immediate access to real-time data, um, you can, uh, people with capital are going to ARB that data. And in doing so, they create liquidity and um, high frequency trading, uh, activities like that in the public markets uh, drive liquidity in many underlying stocks. Um, and that's made possible by a lack of latency in data. But when there is latency in the data, um, when you're looking at an infrastructure asset, when you know, a port, a refinery, when you're looking at a real estate asset, when you're looking at private equity, uh, um, when you're looking at private credit, the latency in the data creates a, uh, a, a, an, a high tr uh, transaction cost. Right, because you have to diligence the data. You're not sure that it's good. And, and with that illiquidity, because of the latency um, on your data, it, there's um, the, the, the liquidity isn't there. The ticket sizes are much greater because the diligence costs are much greater. And so what we're doing is using new technology to do away with the need for a centralized database. So if I'm gonna look at the information, it all needs to be in one place, but rather how do we pull and surveil asset performance all the way at the edge, at the refinery, at the building itself? How can we view that data? How can we audit that data? How can we have on-demand transparency auditability to the source data and then deliver that real time to a computational tool without a middleware of Gates 1.0, right? Excel spreadsheet and a junior accountant doing 10-finger automation, which is how the alts world works right now. So what we're doing is instrumenting the data so that we can streamline it into a computational function to know the state of the asset. So you can know the value of the asset. So you can value the capital stack, running it through a waterfall and a carry calculation all the way through, you value that capital stack. So you can trade that capital stack which then allows you to value a fund, right? Like an interval fund, a closed end fund, et cetera. And so what we're doing is getting that data and pushing it through computational tools, right? Uh, you know, with instantaneous delivery from a decentralized environment, doing away with the centralized database. But this happens where we connect. And if, we, if you think about us from the, the back office to the middle office, uh, Oye is the front office to the middle office, right? She's literally creating new front office opportunities and where you're using a ledger that is not a books and records ledger um, that is maintained by an administrator, but you have a distributed ledger. And because of that, the instantaneous um, uh, uh, agreement on the state of the ledger allows those microservices to happen really, really fast, right? And if you think about the movement of the internet, you had a bookseller and then they were picking and packing. You'd put that in, they could see more people come in to their shop. That's great because they could come in digitally, but they were picking and packing. But it wasn't until you integrated logistics and you integrated supply chain and accounting and you had massive distribution shops that Amazon revolutionized what's happening. What you, when you can have back office, middle office, and front office looking at the same data 
in a fully decentralized environment where you don't need the world's largest database in the center and you're doing away with that latency, what you're going to see is instantaneous agreement on the state of an asset and the state of ownership. And if you can do that, you're going to see people with massive liquidity coming in and arbing that when they see the true value in the true state of those assets. And with that, that opens the door for smaller investors to get in because there is liquidity in the underlying assets. And so Inventium is powering kind of back office to middle office and then plugging it into all these front office solutions. Dave, as a transfer agent, is a middle function that has a market function that if the transfer, somebody who lives within an exemption, blows up, right? The SEC needs to know who am I going after? So he is, while the middle function is more efficient, the function is the regulatory function has been fulfilled. And that's not going to be fulfilled by a smart contract for 30 years, maybe 20, but not for a long time, if ever. But in the regulatory environment we're in, you need these middle functions happening more efficiently that allow OIE have new novel forms of front office distribution, delivery, new audiences, new mechanisms to access the market. So um, anyway, but, but it really is connecting all these microservices that have agreement on a state of a ledger. Thanks, Pat. Um, Oyi, perhaps you could pick that up. And I'd like you to pick it up in a particular context. We've had um, a, a possibly very seminal quest question or observation by, by Vili Bramatz. Um, who says tokenization alone is not sufficient to make private assets success a success. What is needed is an algorithmic standard that represents the legal intention of the financial assets. Currently, there's still bundles of paper uh, or spreadsheets, as, as Pat was saying uh, a few minutes ago. I happen to know that Billy is, is kind of very interested in the Actus uh, standard for financial contracts, where you reduce any financial instrument to its essential components so you can digitize it and exchange information about it more uh, more conveniently, with greater ease, and across different systems. So, do, and you, as an, an exchange, are in quite a good position to adopt standards of that kind, to, if you like, turbocharge this data exchange process, which both Dave and and Pat have been talking about as the key to unlocking privately managed assets. Do you think like that? Do you think about standards? Are you even aware of the Actus uh, standard, or you? Uh, no, but I. But we we. If you look at private markets and why it's actually traditionally been so difficult uh, to sort of move that from a certain type of investor, which is the large institutional investor to the average Joe Schmoll, right? It, it really is because there is no standard. I mean, stocks is, you know, relatively straightforward, right? It's a company, you have disclosures and it's quarterly and, you know, it, it trades, you know, there's nothing too complex about that. Uh, even cryptocurrency isn't particularly complex, right? But if you think about the different alternatives out there, the different sub-asset classes, the different structures that exist, they are actually across different geographies, uh, different you know, tenors of the fund, different types of risk profiles, it's all over the place, right? Standardization is not going to be, it's not gonna happen, not so soon. Uh, but, you know, we, we obviously want that to happen because that's the only way that it can move towards but, but really you, could, could you access not ask, and democratization, right? Could you, could you not get your issuers to adopt a standard in the way that they present the assets they're, they're listing on ADEX? 
So, so a lot of our issuers are still very comfortable with institutional structures. They don't, they kind of want the retail distribution without changing the product and the standardization for retailization. And, and this will take uh, a, a quite a long, I mean, we deal with many GPs. So that, that harmonization is not happening yet. Certainly Dave, when you're done, harmonization is not happening yet. Yeah, Dave, when Dave's done, I'd like to weigh in on, on this as well, um, for sure. Okay, we yeah, do. I, I'm, I'm not sure whether I agree or I disagree with you, Oichi, because I'm not sure I understand your uh, what you're saying. Um, so let me let me be clear here. If you, in our case, like thinking Web 2.5, these are the things that you need to know: who owns something, what is called, what what uh, what exemption or what you know, uh, what kind of structure is it under, what price was paid, when they bought it, what the restrictions are, where it can be traded. There, you know, there's you know, there's like there's you know this long a data string that. You, you need to have for, for everything. And I, there's nothing, tokenization does not change these basic kind of core elements of an asset, which is, you know, what it is, who owns it, what they paid for it, when they bought it, all those things. Those, those things are the same, okay? Um, the stuff that, you know, that Pat's doing is normalizing a lot of really uh, different kind of data. So it, so at the end of the day, you can look at it apples to apples, which is very, very important to do. And we, we need to stay apples to apples in terms of uh, digi digitized versus, you know, non-digitized data, or else I don't even know what we're talking about. Um, and and so I, I think that we're pr we probably agree on this. There's upstream stuff, and I'm going to let Pat go uh, off of my tee up for that. It, it, and, and Dominic, this when you think about Actus, they, I think they're right on the money, but they are assuming that the outcome will be causal, right, which is not true. And so one of the things that I love is the London Stock Exchange. Um, it, when I first started meeting them in, in early 2017, late 2016, um, they said, you know, we've been dematerializing assets forever. And in our very first meeting, um, that they told me a story that the primary driver of the architecture of a ship going to the British East Indies uh, was not how seaworthy it was, but so that the hold could be divided into twelfths so it could be funded quickly and easily. Right. And the market drove once the market was there, a standard for how ships were being built so you could trade uh, the, the returning ships whole. Right. And so it the market drove the standardization. When you try and preset the standard ahead of the market being mature, what you're going to do is you're going to drive the people around and away from the standard. Right. And so today we have a data dictionary. Every alternative asset manager in the world, um, you know, connects their definition to the Rick's Red Book or to the MSCI definition or whatever it is. And then they note the difference. And the reason is they all slice and dice their tool because they're not homogenous assets. No refinery is created the same. Every commercial real estate asset is a little bit different. Every private equity one is a little bit different. And they all want to slice and dice their accounting so that they're first or second in, in their class, right? So then they what they do is they connect to that. 
And it's only as the market and funding forces homogenization of the structure. So ISDAs, right, for swaps, the market forced that structure so it would become more efficient. We're still a little ways away from critical mass for standards to be generated, but they will be standards that don't come out of academia. They will come out of the market players. I'm sorry, that was a long answer. Yeah, Kevin. Um, but, 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 you know, and I, and I exactly. Sorry, yeah, you go, you go first. Well, you, you no, no, I was going to say I agree with with Pat, right? I think the, you know, we we've we for example we have open ended funds, right? We we have NAV that you know Pat and I debate about what what should be NAV for private market assets. Is that consistent across the different players, right? Does Hamilton Lane calculate it the same way as Partners Group calculate the same way as a closed ended fund of of KKR? So. There is a lot of nuance in that data that isn't particularly, and if you don't standardize it, you don't create transparency around, or you don't create transparency, not even talk about standardization, then what are we talking about in terms of transferability, valuation, and, and trading? So, and then let alone, I mean, in the US, you probably have a few US structures, but when you start talking about Cayman and Singapore VCCs and you know Luxembourg structures, and the US have different selling restrictions, I think that's where it, it becomes a lot more complex than exactly. just saying oh, we should exactly. sanitize it. Right? It's exactly it's exactly right. Can I can I can I ask what you think of what's been what's been you've heard so far? Because I think if we'd had this conversation a year ago, <laughs> uh, we'd probably be sat here talking about you know the benefits of of tokenizing mm. privately managed assets, you mm. know, liquidity, mm. fractionalization, democratization, mm. lower transaction costs. Some of the things I, I mentioned at the outset, we'd have talked about. The business case being there, you you know, you'd mm. be far more efficient than what you're doing now. You'd be mm. mad not to do it. Mm. Now, the conversation this afternoon has been about data and digitalization. Exactly. exactly. I think we about, were. It's not been yeah, exactly. About I think we went a bit off topic. I think uh, absolutely. I think uh, it's important. It's part of the private market infrastructure. But I think um, I think with private market infrastructure. It's about data, but it's not about data. It's about also the how you actually create that trust, how you create this auditability, permanent uh, permanent auditability, and how do you create this market? And because arguably, right, uh, a price is a function of the supply and the demand. Right, you don't need gazillions of data to kind of know how much a house is how much any art of pieces and so on and so on right the market the markets are working already i don't think we need to reinvent the wheel there are probably going to be so much improvement down the line of course with a lot more data coming in the market and the ones who manage to crush those data may have an edge on the market because they may understand the price better than some others and this is basically what finance is finance is about basically knowing something that others don't so if the market is so harmonized and is so, so decentralized then there's not going to be many, many money to be made because everybody has access to the same information. And if everybody has access to the same information, then the price is corrected already. So there's no money to be made, uh, full stop. Now, uh, when we talk about, you know, when we started- well, That's assuming uh, the markets but, are efficient, right? And, yeah, and, but, which is but, a bad assumption yeah, for most of world history. Well, but uh, <laughs> so- I think, you know, when uh, Dominic, when we started in 2017, we were looking at turning asset into money, 
right? We were dealing with many entrepreneurs and emerging managers having access to uh, intellectual capital, pool of intellectual capital, right? How do they really monetize intellectual capital? How do you create companies? How do you launch a VC? How do you launch um, a, a private equity? You need to raise money and you cannot monetize the intellectual part the intellectual capital part, which is where we started. So we started to look at tokenizing assets as a way of basically paying people to do work and to build companies. That's how we started in 2017. So we were creating one token per um, startup and we rapidly realized that there was no data, there was too much risk, it was too illiquid. And so what we did is we transitioned towards basically the tokenizations of funds. So we launched our own fully tokenized fund. We operated it, we deployed a few million and we we had to stop and we say we now know how it works. We can see the difference between running a traditional P, a traditional VC, and a fully tokenized investment vehicle. And we can see how the economics would would work. And so that's why we transitioned to a white label solution um, last year because then we realized every asset manager can now walk into a client's office and say, I know you've got 60% of your assets that are illiquid. Okay, therefore, I cannot take a management fee on illiquid assets. And now an asset manager can basically with their own brand, with their own platform, can walk into those clients um, and say, well, I will basically now make 60% of the, your illiquid assets liquid. I can manage them for you and I can increase the performance of your portfolio because now I've got a lot more flexibility, right? And this is where the role of exchanges, right, are very, very important because then at this point, it's about how then do you distribute those assets? How do you connect to all of those exchanges? Um, and the, 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 I think the line between the traditional exchanges, right, uh, and then the tokenized exchanges is going to be blurry because I believe that over time, um, if there's a big market in tokenization, I think the NASDAQ or the FTSE or, or whatever markets they are, they are going to be adopt that technology. And so there's going to be a harmonized market down the line. And so um, I think this is really what we missed here is that what is it that we can do that we couldn't do with the tokenization? And I think um, uh, Oi uh, talked about it, um, but um, I think we need to focus on this. The world right now is basically too exclusive. The world of private assets is very too, it's too much exclusive. It's not enough people be able to participate. And so what we need to do is we need to create a forum and we need to create platforms where more people can participate in the private equity market because this is where there is money to be made, right? This is the growth of our, this is where the growth of our economy is. And so um, all of those things are as important as basically able to create jobs, create companies, solve problems and so on and so on. They are not about trying to make the market more efficient in my view, not the capital market anyway, because the capital market is already very efficient. It's about really taking the private market as it stands, making it much more efficient for building companies, create innovations, solve problems, creating things and make money in that journey. But so um, exchanges, are, exchanges are going to do well in this environment. What happens, of course. To, what happens to custodian banks and central securities depositories? And before you answer that question, I'm going to just share some facts with you. I was very interested to read in the International Security Services Association survey of DLT in the real world. This is their 2022 survey. They're doing another one now, but this is last year, so it's a little bit out of date. But they put, uh, it's a survey of 148 banks and CSDs around the world. So it's a pretty big sample of people that matter. And it, that survey found that they were spending a lot of money, um, well, actually not that much money. I think it was 9 million by custodians and 5 million by, by 
CSDs on private debt, private equity initiatives. So these were actually just as important, if not more important to them uh, than bonds or indeed the cryptocurrencies, which a year ago, a lot of their clients were, were pushing them towards. We've seen the, the DTCC, you know, the American CSD, uh, start building this infrastructure for privately managed assets. So it's not like these entities are thinking to themselves, we have no role to play here. Dave, uh, you know, the, the you've you've described the role that transfer agents fulfill here um i've been in, in many ways fascinated by this conversation because it's not about disintermediation it's not really about tokenization at all it's actually about making these assets available uh through data and all a lot of the existing service providers just having doing slightly different things but all surviving and contributing to a more efficient solution yeah so you know i want to I'm, I'm not sure if i'm going to take issue with what kevin just said but this this uh, what we're doing here really is focused on private assets. Okay, it's not focused on public. Let's just make make it clear for everybody who's on the call who's new to this topic. Um, I am certainly not proposing that we bring tokenization of assets to the public markets. I think what Kevin said, if I understood him correctly, is that efficiency is not a problem. That is true in the public markets. The public markets have no efficiency problem. The public markets are over-optimized, if, if anything, and they're extremely efficient, so efficient that you can get front run on your retail trade in 100 milliseconds by a larger trading group. They see your order flow and they make moves based on your 100 lot trade, your, your 100 share trade. Okay, so that market is the public market does not need to be fixed. The private market is where we're focused on here. Okay, now in in the private markets, there have been no transfer agents. Let's be really clear. There's been there's no requirement for a transfer agent in a private market transaction. That's because until now there was no transparency in private markets. They were not uh, private markets. Actually, there wasn't a market. Okay, um, and transfer agents help maintain an orderly market. The order comes from who owns what. Mm -hmm. That's the most important piece of data at any company is who, who owns the company. It's the oldest piece of data in a company. It's the piece, it's the, it's the longest lived database in any company is its capitalization. What this technology does is not alien. Again, it, it uses distributed ledger to manage this ownership data, to transform it, to make it tradable. So for you TradFi people out there, we are not proposing on blowing up a whole bunch of structures. What we're doing is we're wringing um, like friction out of the whole system, okay? Exactly, it's, we're bringing it, more assets to play with basically. Yes, it's, it, it's, this is a, this is sadly enough, it's actually a super boring play mm -hmm. if you think about it. So don't get scared. Mm -hmm. You know, it's 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 actually making it so that uh, you know the the data is standardized so that things can be traded and transferred more easily. That's it. It goes away. There's upstream stuff like what Pat's doing. There's downstream stuff to me at what uh, Oichi uh, is doing at Adex, and the whole thing is moving the data through this through this set of pipes. Okay, and until you've got those pipes put in place. There will be continued systemic friction in private capital markets. Now, why should you be excited about this? 
public markets are not going to do any IPOs in the next couple of years. Just, just deal with it. It's not going to happen. All the unicorns are going to get devalued. So they're going to figure out where they're at. The crypto markets are trading sideways, except for Bitcoin, which is the only true crypto asset. And, and th there's nothing else for you all to do. Okay. So why don't you come over and start thinking about this market, which is way bigger than the public markets. Okay. Public markets are, are like a third of the private market. So you want to do something for the next couple of years, come and work with the folks who are on this call to make this market more efficient. That's the whole point of this. If there's nothing else. I'd like to add something to what Dave, I think Dave, you were very good on uh, explaining kind of the big difference between the private and the, and the public and why there is a need for some form of decentralization. Because right now, capital markets are very centralized, right, through those exchanges. And I think why uh, Dominic, we don't think, like, I'm very much agreeing with, with Dave, we don't think the role of transfer agents is needed here because historically, private markets work on peer-to-peer. You don't need to have a central party to sell your house. But you, you don't do. Need to, yeah, but, but, but you do. But you do. But, but you do. Okay. That's the version one thinking. Exactly. Kevin, was that wallets would replace transfer agents and people at like, if you've ever been a corporate secretary or CFO or but even you do. CEO, exactly. you know that you can't do this. Exactly. And then it's back to this, it's back to all of that discussion of basically bringing bringing the existing world onto um, a technology and that is basically data lakes or so that's technology like blockchain or decentralized ledger to make this market more efficient, but where you have less central authority that can manipulate that price because there's a criteria on transparency and all of that pipe is in place. So um, yeah, I really li like that point, Dave. I'm done. Okay, we're, we're into our last quarter now and I'd, I'd like to, to... Um, talk a little bit about law and, and regulation. Um, and I, I, a thought is prompted by what Dave was saying there about the importance of deciding who owns what. Now, in the UK, and I, I don't know whether this is mirrored in the US, I suspect it is, and in Europe, you know, who owns what in a, in a, in a crypto asset world has actually been quite a live discussion. Um, one of the difficulties which uh, businesses trying to get going in this space in the UK have faced is actually it's been difficult to describe certain types of token as property. And if they can't be described as property in law, they're very difficult to, to sell and buy and transfer between people. We're now starting to see court cases which um, arising out of various Bitcoin fraud, frauds in the UK, which have determined that these virtual assets are indeed property, which is kind of unblocking that 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 problem. Now, we've had a question um, which is kind of relevant to this, um, and it's it's from a um, from a wealth manager who says, what I've seen so far, the majority of tokens are in real estate investments for direct retail investors. Uh, he asked, what are the legal and regulatory um, opinions and requirements to offer and promote these products here in the UK? I've seen various alternative investments in wine, whiskey, capital ownership, real estate being promoted and advertised here in the UK, not as tokens, and they're not regulated. So what's the, what's the difference? Has the FCA given any, any rules or requirements for for token promotions directly to consumers. In other words, um, if the token's offered here in the UK, but the investors are from somewhere else, um, do you have to be regulated? Um, uh, now, now, my view about this is that is that yes, the tokens are, uh, you know, security tokens, which is what these um, the kind of assets we're talking about would be, are indeed regulated, uh, as described by the FCA in its famous uh, paper 
about the perimeter, what's what's regulated and what's not. So if you are using uh, these uh, instruments in the UK, you're going to have to comply with all the rules that apply to a securities business. You're going to get licensed by the FCA. You're going to have right. to publish a prospectus. You're going to have to comply with the senior manager's regime. Uh, and you're going to have to treat customers fairly and so on. Um, the wine and whiskey he refers to are are outside that FCA remit. They're outside the regulatory perimeter because they're just physical assets and therefore they're treated already as pieces of property, which can be uh, which can be um, bought and sold quite easily. And I, I've noticed a number of the real estate, um, these sort of real estate investment clubs we've seen in, in the UK, for example, uh, are not regulated either uh, unless they um, turn out to be securities or collective investment funds, that's a, a USITS or an OIC or, a, or an AIF. Um, as he points out, the, the fractional ownership, we've seen this in, in classic cars, for example, uh, they're not regulated as security tokens because actually you don't have any ownership rights. Back to your point, Dave, nobody really owns this thing. You starts to drive it once a year, maybe, or get photographed next to it twice a year, but you don't actually uh, have the right to vote on it or indeed to receive any profits or, or dividends. From it, so my, my there's a rather long-winded way of of, of introducing uh, a member of the audience's question, but really asking, um, and or ye, maybe you're a very good place. Singapore has, has built a reputation for being very advanced in its thinking about these things, while also being, you know, it, it seems to be getting regulation right in a way that other jurisdictions are not. So um, describe to us that the Singapore uh, situation, bearing in mind uh, our audience member's question about. <laughs> certain is the law and regulation if i if i issue buy trade a token um can i do that with real certainty in singapore in a way i can't yet in london yeah in in singapore the thinking is not that far away from from fca right a, a security is a security even if you tokenize it so from an mas point of view monetary authority of singapore the tokenization the the tech agnostic in that respect, if you're handling a security, you're distributing it, you're trading it, it falls under the Securities and Futures Act. So, for example, our licenses, I suspect, uh, like uh, our colleagues here, all traditional securities licenses. Now, I think there needs to be a, a, a sort of, there's, there's a lot of nuance, right? In Singapore, there obviously you can trade wines physically as well, but they're not regulated as well. But we, for example, have a, a partner who created a wine fund that becomes a security and that's traded uh, on our exchange. Mm -hmm. So I think at the end of the day, and, and, you know, for example, you could actually securitize a, a classic car, right? The question is whether you want to be trading that, that as a security or you want to be trading that as an asset. Of course, as a security, then that becomes the uh, added layer of regulation, right? We, uh, as an exchange, do due diligence. We make sure that, you know, the partners we work with, uh, you know, are proper provenance, governance, and valuation, right? Are, are the key tenets that I think we should be thinking about, whether it's a security or, or the underlying asset, but we just add that layer of protection because we're regulated. Mm -hmm. but, but as I said, I don't think, I think there is the, um, and Singapore just sees that, quite differently. There are some jurisdictions who um, initially came up with the idea of a virtual asset um, regime, and that caught cryptocurrencies and tokenized securities. And interestingly, you're seeing some of these regulators start to unpack that 
because there's now saying, well, cryptocurrencies is cryptocurrencies and that should be dealt with in a certain way. Uh, but tokenized securities are likely more and more aligned uh, to uh, the underlying securities laws. And if you see what uh, BIS and the consultation and the guidelines for Basel for banks in thinking about uh, balance sheet treatment of assets, they're now saying uh, that, that crypto as, as defined as an underlying security that's traditional is going to be treated as a traditional security. So I think the world is starting to sort of um, move away from a single what we call virtual asset capability and shift in two ways where cryptocurrencies will be dealt with in its own muddling way that's going to be dealt with. I don't know how that's going to play out, but tokenized securities will clearly be within each local jurisdiction of securities or funds, yeah. whatever that might be. So the world, the world is converging on a single model. Dave, yeah. you're about to say uh, something. Yeah, I mean, uh, MAS and, and SEC are actually fairly fairly similar um, in terms of its regulations. Here, here in the U.S., if you if, if you tokenize an asset which has been offered under a, a, a private placement memorandum, it's a dematerialized security. Okay, you can't store it on the blockchain natively because they don't permit that yet because they don't see the blockchain as the source of truth. It, it's funny enough. I mean, these are still securities. Okay, uh, they're tokenized, but you must represent them on a, a central database structure like Postgres uh, in order to satisfy the SEC's requirements. Anything which is offered uh, to investors either under Reg A, which is you know crowdfunding, or Reg CF, which is crowdfunding, Reg D or Reg S, private asset, which is offered under one of these structures, is a security. Like plain, like end of story. Doesn't matter whether it was wine before that wine was fractionalized and sold or trees or ant carbon credits it doesn't really matter it's really the legal agreement which is what sets it as a security or not okay as a difference from between a security and say a loan uh in the in what they did here in the united states which is a slightly different i think than, than mas and, and fca was that they had a carve out for the trading platforms if you're going to trade tokenized securities. It's called the Special Purpose Broker Dealer. It was released uh, as a five-year um, safe harbor exemption. The last thing that uh, that Jay Clayton did as uh, chairman of the SEC in December 23rd, 2020, okay? And um, so these things are securities, plain and simple. They're not bearer assets. Uh, anyone who's on this call, we're not talking about cryptocurrencies here. We're talking about dematerialized digital asset securities. And that's what we're all talking about. We may use different words, okay? But they're dematerialized digital asset securities uh, and tokenized or not, traded as a token or not, that's what they are. Uh, it's real, It's actually really, really simple. Um, it just happens to be they're encoded differently. Yeah, that's, that's actually a, a very interesting uh, point, uh, Dave, because in Singapore, there is, I think there will be eventually a move to um, draft dematerialization into whether it's Companies Act or, or you know, the, 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 the constitutional uh, sort of a part of it. Uh, and, and we still, we say dematerialization, but we actually still do quite a lot of that legal uh, work uh, when we do that. So um, we're, we're, Singapore is definitely not 100% there yet. And this issue was, of course, created by the technology itself, the difficulty of deciding where ownership resides, where a transaction is is settled and so on. And a lot of what we've been talking about this afternoon is actually the technology is a second order matter. 
what actually matters is bringing these assets into the public domain. So if we if we think about the role that regulators have, have played so far, um, from what Oye is saying, it sounds like they've got it just about right, despite fielding quite a lot of criticism over the last two or three years. We've ended up with this model where cryptocurrencies are over there, they're unregulated, everything else is a pretty much everything else uh, is a security token. So here it's within the regulatory perimeter. And I assume, and Pat, maybe you have a view on this, that that issuers might not always like the idea of, of, of regulation because it increases costs, but they certainly like investors and investors like regulation. So are we reaching the point now, if you look at what's happening, as Dave mentioned with Reg A, Reg S in the US, this seems to be working as a way of getting private asset, uh, privately managed assets into, into the market. Am I right to think that, Pat? I, the trend is right. The narrative is arc is right, but there there are uh, unfortunate uh, data points that are contrary. Um, and 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 so, uh, as an example, um, you know, I'll I'll just give you you know the SEC and Finra in their in their famous 2019 um, uh, joint statement on tokenized securities. You know. I think security tokens are are not really a thing. They're a little bit like unicorns. Um, uh, tokenized securities are a real thing, um, and and uh, and we could talk about the difference. But in that in that joint statement, they have a footnote that just says messaging services um, and how messaging. This is footnote nine um, between a, a broker dealer, a special purpose broker dealer ATS, and a custodian needs to consider, is it a clearing agent or a settlement function? Well, time out. Does that mean software which connects an ATS to a custodian is a settlement function and needs to be a regulated entity for its software to be utilized? And so literally we're getting former commissioner of the SEC, big legal opinions, et cetera, because when there's a lack of clarity, people don't implement. Do you know what I mean? And, and and there's a lot of things that are undefined, right? And as things are getting defined, um, the mechanism by which in, in early versions, we're having to literally build pop-up windows from the custodian to the maker or the taker of the trade that is a custodian-initiated initiated question in addition to the user interface just so that it doesn't look like the ATS is asking the question. So unified communications um, aren't done, which makes ease of adoption harder because it's harder to utilize and it's harder to build because each person's communication, because there's not clarity on what that functioning and what the messaging is, everybody has to speak separately. These are things that in five years will be sorted but right now, literally, as we build that infrastructure for an exchange to have a multi-custodial environment and a multi-chain environment between um, the maker and the taker, uh, so you don't have to have everybody with their assets at one custodian, which is you know not reality, we're having to have more steps involved which hurts user experience, right? And But it will get more sophisticated over time. But the reason is the SEC, they haven't pondered what a messaging system really is in this environment. Do you know what I mean? And is that message that matches a pair 
Is that a settlement function, even if you have a CSD, a digital CSD, that's going to clear everything out? You know, and that might be at at the location of a custodian. So we're, we're still we've, we've had this discussion, in. though. We've we've had this discussion with them, Pat. So it's not published, but the the thinking is evolving in that area. Okay, but I love part- the point you bring up. You bring up a really interesting point. It's a point of extreme nuance, too. You know, the devil and the Holy Spirit are in the detail, right? Yeah. If you're gonna if you're gonna exist in a regulatory environment. You have to be able to say the way that we are clearing, we are settling, we are matching, the the way that the maker and the taker are instructing, these things matter. The way that we stream data and set a nav or a book value and the bid or the ask or above and we trade on appointment, how that's delivered by geography, by regulatory jurisdiction matters. And as we sort these, we are seeing, I would say, almost every major institution we're talking to is now moving full speed into real world assets, digitizing their middle and back office so they can take advantage of what they know is coming, which is the new digital front office, right? And it, and, and they're preparing to have automated data feeds in order to allow microservices to occur um, instead of having a single monolithic uh, uh, data architecture. And when, or systems architecture, and as you do that, you're going to see new players, you're going to see an ecosystem develop, you're going to see real DeFi develop, um, but but it's the definitions need to be clarified on what things are, um, and those are, they're happening slowly, mm-hmm. but they're happening. Okay, thanks, Pat. I'd like to, we're into our last couple of minutes here. Um, and I'd like to address a question which has been raised by um, by Galen Simmons. It was an interesting one. Um, the question is for private issuers that traditionally rely on institutional distribution. What types of regulatory structures and adaptations are being explored to partially tokenize a fund? So I know you're a private equity or or hedge fund. You you, you run around trying to raise money from pension funds and, and uh, family offices. Now you might want to tokenize part fund or ye, is this an issue you've come across i know that you you're listing hedge uh-huh. and, and and private equity and real estate funds is this, this issue come up in your work we do that all the time okay right <laughs> that's what come up it's what you do all every day. single time every day uh i mean uh, as we spoke about uh most most gps are or most fund managers are very comfortable dealing with institutional so there is going to be an adaptation from a regulatory point of view uh at the moment i don't it's not so much, well, obviously if regulatory changes the way we talk about dematerialization and fractionalization and access to mass affluent and retail, that's a big shift. But for now, it is more legal adaptation. It is about, uh, we, we do what we call sort of um, a token wrap per se, that sort of makes sure that the, uh, the, the tokens are aligned completely with what the underlying security is. So there is adaptation and has been done Many times, uh, you know, where we sort of quite the and and certainly doable. It's so this is a really straightforward thing. You can do a forty act fund and you can tokenize it. Okay. And what, what if? But but Dave, what if your forty act fund is already out there in, in traditional form? So you can tokenize it. You can tokenize it afterwards. So that so, so just so everyone understands, when you do a tokenized offering or you have a tokenized asset, it doesn't need to be sold in a token form. Okay, we take 90% of the stuff that we do 
has already been had money raised against it one or more rounds and then we can take those that data and tokenize we can tokenize it at any time you know to, and, and so it doesn't really matter when you tokenize it the tokenization itself has nothing to do with its legal structure it's well, how it's prime, traded it's how it's you, traded on and primary primary versus secondary distribution is, is a toggle and 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 i will say just like dave you know in venium we we have about roughly 85 billion of assets on our platform 100 percent we're already fully distributed on a primary basis, right? And what we're doing is we're facilitating mechanisms for more efficient secondary trading of closed-end funds, interval funds, you know, um, private credit. This is what we're doing, creating secondary markets for fully distributed primary funds. And that will lead to eventually primary distribution of new funds but but Dave's right. Every we're seeing the same thing. Everything we do has already been fully distributed. Dave, can I just ask? We must stop in a minute. But Dave, can I just ask a possibly stupid question here? I'm running a 40 act fund. It's being sold and distributed in the traditional way. I notice over there's a pocket of investors who'd like to buy it in a tokenized form. What do I do? Just create a tokenized share class? And who who answers the question that you are meant to answer, which is who owns which? How do you up, end up with a single register of, of who owns the tokenized version of the fund and who owns the? Well, I mean, every you know, most most funds use a fund admin or some fund manager already, so the structure is already there. I mean, hey, look, if you're on this call and you're a fund admin and you want to license my platform and tokenize assets, call me up. But um, there, you know, in our system, we have uh, non-tokenized and tokenized assets in the same round in the same fund side by side. So uh, you know, our system uh, can can handle both in the same offering, in the same asset, and one can be tokenized, one can be not tokenized. It's, it's really at the discretion of the issuer. There's, you know, the the tokenization of the asset is just it's just like do you store it in a Word document or a PDF? It doesn't. It's the same thing. It's no different than that. Okay. It, the, the interesting thing about tokenization is it creates an immutable uh, ledger, which is auditable and more transparent than something that's on a spreadsheet, that's something that's in a central database. And it, and it is a representation of ownership. It is the ownership is, is really held at the legal level, one level of abstraction above the token. Okay, that's where the real legal stuff happens. The real legal stuff does not happen in the token. End of story. In tokens, to Pat's point, Tokens are not replacing lawyers. They're not going to replace a whole bunch of logic and this stuff anytime soon. They're really a certificate of authenticity um, with a, with an audit trail uh, associated with them. And, uh, and they may have compute functions built in, right? And, but those compute functions are every compute function itself is going to have to be auditable, not just the share, meaning where did I pull that data from? I need to recreate that calculation from which I did a distribution or from which I set a public mark yep. and how do we audit that? And so all of that compute function, when you see these tokenized funds, and I want to just real quick go from something you said at the beginning, um, Dominic. Do, do be quick, Pat, the way, we're over time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. The, the, the way the market started was JP Morgan and, and Goldman, you know, in, in I would say in earnest with institutional players laying in, was in the repo market. 
You know what I mean? And they're trading the they're trading massive repo back and forth to each other in a tokenized form. But but there's no spread in that. So they want to get in and start to be market makers in alts. And as they do that, they're going to capture spread as liquidity comes. So they're going into that. I would say 90% of the compute function is happening off chain. 10% of the compute function is happening in smart contracts today. Okay, I, I, we must stop in a minute, but I'd like to give each of you a chance just to, to give the, the audience something to, to take away from this. And I, my, my question is is um, is this, and, and perhaps I'll put it to you first, um, Kevin. Listening to everything this afternoon, we haven't talked about blockchain, we haven't talked about tokenization, we haven't talked about fractionalization or smart contracts, any of that stuff. We have, I think, agreed that there is a big opportunity here, which, and regulation and data are coming together to enable that opportunity to be realized. But an awful lot of people listening to this call, CSDs, asset managers, custodian bankers, fund administrators, fund managers, et cetera, uh, are actually probably feeling a lot more positive than they would have done if we talked about this a year ago, because they're all going to survive. They're gonna do something slightly different. It's gonna be a big new opportunity for them. Um, I'm kind of answering the question for you a bit here, but is, is your is your, what is your perception of of how this is going to unfold over the next three to five years? Are we going to end up with a with a structure very like the traditional marketplace, but just making markets in in tokens, investing in tokens, trading tokens, broking tokens, custodying tokens, safekeeping tokens? Is that is that the world we're heading towards here? Well, I think uh, it's a complex question. I don't have the answer in where the world is going to be in three, five years. I think we all agree started saying that actually this is all very experimental. There are uh, ways where it works. There are ways where it's broken. And uh, and we kind of, we tend to agree that um, technology can play a big role in uh, improving uh, significantly the way private market works. So I think the, the main takeaway of this great conversation uh, uh, for me is that we, we know tokenization can be used in many ways. Right, we there's of course there's there's just many ways uh, business models can be reinvented and rebuilt uh, to create customer value, investor value using blockchain and tokenization. So, so that's one thing, and uh, one thing that I think say Dave said really well is that there's nothing new under the sun. Right, this is all exists. This is going to be the same, but just using new technology to improve the efficiency and the transparency and the data. Nothing in new is new. Uh, and uh, my kind of uh, uh, advice uh, for whatever it's worth is that people who are ignoring uh, this thing right now are very uh, typically the people who are ignoring AI 10, 20 years ago, right? So if you ignore blockchain right now, you're going to be behind your customers, your competitors who are using that technology. For me, uh, if there's anything I have got certainty on is, you know, ignoring blockchain right now is a big mistake. Uh, ignoring the way you can make assets more liquid and 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 transferable and more and and more transparent is a big mistake. Pat, a last word from you. You've you've heard Kevin say in effect that this is bringing familiar technologies or familiar roles to, to play in the private asset market, just making them more efficient. This isn't about a transformation. This isn't about a replacement. It's not an upgrade. It's just bringing stuff we know already efficiently to, to privately managed assets. You've made your point about data. Do you agree with that, that with what Kevin is saying, Pat? I, I fundamentally agree with everything. It's just we have to put a uh, we have to put an order of magnitude on it. Because in many ways, we're literally going from book entry, physical book entry, 
not just to the printing press, but to the internet, right? And I mean, there it is speeding up processes dramatically. Real-time surveillance of real-time assets is gonna drive valuation data. You're gonna be able to have instantaneous understanding of the asset is gonna be ready for sale 24 seven. And when you have third party marks on that and that's rolled up into an interval fund, people like Blackstone aren't gonna to need to go to CalPERS for a $4 million infusion of cash because they've run out of space in their interval fund because it will be listed on an exchange like ADDX. And that will do away with the interval funds need for a $4 billion bailout because there'll be a secondary trading market for it. And so literally, this is going to speed the innovation in the private markets where you're going to see things like index funds, you're going to see derivatives, you're going to be able to implement an economic thesis with more purity and more precision in the private market uh, than you ever have before. And that's what we're going to start seeing. Dave, you've heard Pat say we're, we're moving from an analog world to a Web3 world without an intervening period in the Web1 or Web2 worlds, which is quite a wrenching transition, but it's going to actually be surprisingly familiar when we get there. Is that a reasonable takeaway for people, for me to, uh, and the people listening to the webinar to, to, to go home with? Well, I think what Pat is doing is simple, is ask the impossible and get the unreasonable. So that's, uh, you know, I think that's a that's a that's a that's a a good way to do things. You'll get you'll get you what you want that way. Look, this is really really simple. Uh, whether uh, because of uh, the demand from investors or whether by the diktat of uh, regulators, um, private assets are the next large market. They're being digitized using this technology to digitize assets so they can be bought and sold more efficiently makes a lot of sense. This is not extraterrestrial technology. This is a step function improvement. Do not think that this is something that you can't deal with or master. And you can call any of us on here. And if you want to put up with listening to this stuff again, we'll tell you why this makes a lot of sense and it is not ornamental, um, and it is not cryptocurrency, and it is not FTX, and it will fix the Archegos problem. We are going to fix the Archegos, the Three Arrows Capital, the Celsius, the FTX problems, which are all related to lack of transparency and, and, and lack of auditability and cross-collateralization. This is what we're solving here. Don't, this is not hobbyist stuff. It is like engine room stuff here. Uh, Oye, um, uh, it falls to you, I'm afraid, to, to, to have a last word about this. You've just heard Dave say this, this doesn't need to be a massively wrenching transition for existing institutions to take to take part in this. It's it's actually going to be relatively familiar to them and much easier than they perhaps thought. Well, I think, the, yeah, I agree with that, right? Actually, the, the technology, is, as Dave said, is not... It's not extraterrestrial, right? It's something that I mean, it's it's been used and it's been scaled in, obviously, in a different setting. But you know, as as uh, as you way started out, uh, my prediction with BCG is sixteen trillion, right? The addressable market, and that is going to be a combination of. I mean, we all here uh, have a role to play, obviously, because we're, we're we have we have a certain sort of vision, and we're moving quite quickly with tech. But the world is not going to move towards that 16 trillion with just the five of us or four of us here, right? It really requires, it really will, we will see 
the rest of the world slowly adopting that. And I think, you know, Pat mentioned this earlier and I'm with him, the amount of conversations that we're having with TradFi and the amount of work that's being done in TradFi, it's actually not that obvious, uh, but it is happening. And so I think, and again, it is not so obvious because it's an engine room conversation. Uh, we we obviously talk about it, you know, in a, in a very passionate way because that's that's where we see we we want to change the world. But you're really starting to see those conversations happening within TradFi, uh, and that's being built towards uh, or, or we are converging with that TradFi. So this particular move, I think, in five years' time, if we're still having these webinars to talk about tokenization, I think we would have failed. But I actually <laughs> don't see us having these webinars in three to five years time because it would be so built into the infrastructure and the, 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 the financial services world. It's like talking about having a website, you know, in five years, right? You know, who... yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, okay. When we, Same stop thing. Talking, when we stop talking about this, we will have, we would have succeeded. Uh, I'm exactly. afraid we must, we must stop there because we've run uh, at least 10 minutes uh, over our allotted time span, but I'm leaving this with the feeling that the reason privately managed assets are leading the tokenization debate is because they're leading convergence with, with TradFi. Uh, and I rather like that idea of extraterrestrial technology, Dave. I'm going to, going to pocket that one. It's not a case of, of ET go home. It's an ET feel at home uh, already. Uh, but we better stop there. Um, I'd like to thank our panelists, uh, Pat O'Meara from Invenium, Kevin Montserrat from Consilience Group, uh, Oyi Chu from, from ADEX, thanks for, for staying up uh, with us, Oyi, appreciate that a lot. And of course, Dave Hendricks from Vitalo. Thank you also to you, our audience, for your questions and your comments uh, here at Future of Finance. Uh, our next webinar is exactly one week uh, today away, Thursday, the 26th of January, same time, uh, 1400 London time, same place, Zoom. Uh, we'll be looking at stablecoins uh, and in particular at their regulation, what the their coming regulation, what the implications of that are for the markets. I hope that many of you will join us then, uh, but for now it's goodbye from the five of us. Goodbye. Mm -hmm.